Welcome on. Talk a little Eastern Conference in this mailbag edition. Always fun to get all these questions and wade into them. We always really appreciate having a chance to do that. Programming note here, I got a couple of notes from people about the ads that we've been doing, uh, that the volume was a little bit louder on them. Um, and due to some changes in the industry, we basically are going to have to have four ads per show at this point. And I thought it would be better for you guys if we do two breaks and do two ads within the breaks, but I got some feedback saying, no, it's better to actually split those up. Again, we apologize for having to do that, but I figure four minutes of ads per 60 minutes is still probably better than you're going to get in just about any other medium. And most podcasts are at about that level right now. So let us know if you think it's better. Better to do them in two breaks with two ads or to extend it out a little bit longer and do shorter breaks but more of them we're going to try the latter approach here so danny my first chance to actually say happy new year to you since we recorded our previous episodes last week before the new year's uh what'd you do for new year's by the way uh, i had a had a smaller evening with some friends which was really nice and um new year's has never really been a big thing for me growing up so it was nice to to actually have something enjoyable and you know and and, and fun and yeah it, it was a good time how about you uh ashley and i made it to uh 1 a.m and stayed home and played games with uh, some of our friends but nice yeah i new year's even when i was single it was like it was never really worth it to me to really go through all the schlep of it but feels kind of weird to be in a new decade turning 40 this year that's uh that's gonna be something to deal with but uh, all of you people don't need to be my therapist on that i will uh i can pay someone to listen to me complain about my old age let's talk a little atlanta hawks here yeah uh the hawks are 8 and 28 they are actually dead last in both net rating and offensive rating they are 27th in defensive rating and 538 projects them to win 26 games this year which would tie them for 12th in the eastern conference uh, the question i think is most interesting here is from uh, at dan plunkett for what can the hawks do in the 2020 offseason to take the next step towards being more competitive yeah we've had these andre drummond rumors that came out over the weekend uh, woad saying that they're involved in talks with him uh, hollinger and i talked about that i know you talked about it with sam Bassini, so we don't need to repeat that uh, but in summary wasn't a huge fan of a potential drummond acquisition particularly not if it involves giving up a, a fair amount of assets but they i do project them to have about 60 million in cap space this summer considering draft picks that they're going to have and also jabari parker opting in to 6.5 million so that can get you a lot of rotation guys now i think it's looking like it's gonna be a pretty ugly situation there maybe part of the thought of acquiring someone who can help this year is we're going into free agency and we'd like to at least have this look like it's not a total tire fire as we're trying to get some free agents they have looked slightly friskier of late they beat indiana trey young uh, had an awesome game but and then the other question i have too here is how much are you going to continue to believe in these young wings hunter and reddish basically it's been set up this year that those guys are going to play are you going to go into the offseason with those guys are going to be our starters and you know backup point guard and center are going to be our big needs and you know is john collins he's the written in stone starter at the four and you're just going to try and build around those guys get some depth etc or are you going to see if you can't upgrade there on the wing that's one big priority i would say for me the biggest thing for atlanta in the it can be the near term the long term just depending on which what asset they use to get there is somebody who can help give them a defensive identity yeah now if you that's are, why i wasn't as into drummond by the way exactly exactly and, and so if 
and this ties in with the question that you were talking about before of like who are definites in their starting five in their rotation because that's how many how many other slots now Trey Young appears to be set in stone as I think he should be just picked him for my number three best prospect in the league so that that's the type of guy who gets set in stone and that's why Collins is such an important part of this and if if he's basically locked in and won the starter spots and then Hunter is the heavy favorite for the other one, then they're asking a lot of presumably the center in that system. I mean, they're going to have to be the team's best defensive player. Maybe you're even trying to go to some, maybe like a Gobert-esque system because they have so many, I mean, Trey Young's a weak defender. Herder's not my favorite. John Collins, I don't I don't particularly like him. Though he has shown some more yeah. flashes this Her- year. Herder, not your favorite on defense, you mean? On defense, yeah. I like him on offense, sure. Yeah. And yes, teams can try to lean heavily one direction and be a great offensive team but really to me you have to at least push somewhat towards respectability on the other end to be viable and remember the hawks are dead last in offensive rating this year so it's not like they have this insane offense that is can be the linchpin of a of a successful team right now i firmly believe that improving their talent will get them a lot of the way and age-related improvement can help but yeah that's why to me the defensive identity piece is extremely important that's also why i oppose the drum and trade yeah sam and i talked about that a lot in the game theory pod a little bit on on real jam radio um but yeah that's that's the basic idea and i don't know whether that player is better i mean Age-wise, it's better to draft somebody there. You know, like, I don't know if Wiseman's that guy. We haven't watched film on him yet, um, and there's not going to be as much film. But it can be because bigs take so much time to develop a lot of, you know, the communication elements and all that. It might be that getting somebody a little older makes some sense. But at the same point, I mean, they have about $73 million in space to work with now. I don't know who that player is on the market. Really, honestly, either the free agent market or the accessible trade market, that could be that linchpin for them. But that's what they need. Yeah. Maybe they have to develop that player. You know, I think someone like Derek Favors, if he were healthy, might really help. But yeah, I mean, maybe that's the thought of, hey, there there isn't that incredible defensive center out there. And, you know, usually teams don't let that guy get away. Rudy Gobert might be available in the summer of 2021, but that's looking way too far ahead right now yeah just the commitment to drummond yeah you know maybe it's worth it just to get to respectability i just don't think he's that good defensively and we have a bunch of drumming questions here so uh coach pelotier good good to hear from him uh saying uh he's a relatively unskilled center who relies on his athleticism and physicality and uh he doesn't see him aging that well with his team i pretty much agree with that i think he's lost some athleticism already i don't think he's as amazing as a pick and roll player as he was when he was really skying for alley-oops earlier last decade um andrew says should the hawks sign andre drummond and that to me kind of makes a little bit more sense than trading for him now because like you said they could they might have james wiseman on this team this summer you know that they're they could make a trade around draft time you don't know what's going to develop necessarily not only that but there is the downside risk of trading trading for a pending free agent gives them a lot of power in the negotiations and because you affirmatively traded for that guy and what the hawks should be doing considering the market power they have and the, the supply at the center position is they should be trying to get the best player at a reasonable price they shouldn't be saying this is unless you see identify a specific player as the guy don't do that and giving drummond a fifth year which is the other primary benefit of trading for somebody's bird rights i, I wouldn't be looking to do that unless he takes a significant per year discount because the end of that contract and this is something coach Pelletier, uh got got into Pelletier, is I think the end of the Drummond's next contract is going to be a problem because he relies more on his athleticism, his skill development. While it has been really stepped up offensively in the last couple of years, it isn't quite at that kind of a level. So I think he could degrade rebounders even as 
insane as he is that that can be something that that trends the other thing I want yeah, to the, oh uh, there's, let's talk about one more thing too here uh, on him is the, the player option as yep. well and we've seen you might say oh you can maybe you can get him on a longer term deal well we've seen with say valanchunas or on harrison barnes that those guys don't necessarily end up taking a, a bigger discount uh, in a lot of these situations uh, off of that what the player option would have been so uh yeah it's uh it, and then you know you could just end up getting screwed on that player option because like he gets hurt or something and then opts in and you got nobody um but yeah you're, you're going to transition into another topic here as we got a couple minutes left uh, just briefly from uh at b-ball strategy what are the odds that lloyd pierce is still the coach in six months 12 18 it it sounds from the little murmurs that you hear that it's lower than i would say based on his quality in the abstract as a coach just part of it is personal relationships and if the players are not thrilled and they're tuning him out especially if they end up being powerful players then that makes it harder and it wouldn't shock me if Lloyd Pierce is the equivalent of a second draft coach where for forces outside of his control because like I thought he did a great job tactically especially last year but things just you know if it if it doesn't work out their personalities or whatever that he does better in a second location where he's not a first-time coach or the 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 chemistry mix is a little bit different so I think it's you know maybe below 50% that he's their coach a year from now because he's also if unless uh, he's he's the more obvious scapegoat unless Schlank's job is way more in jeopardy than I think it is so uh, I, I think it's lower but I also think that he should get a second chance and that he could end up doing really well there yeah and maybe part of their thought in acquiring Drummond is Trey Young is so disgruntled uh, overall perhaps even uh, with Lloyd Pierce and that part of the reason for that is that they've been terrible and Trey doesn't realize that how bad the rest of their team is and maybe that it's not Pierce's fault um you know like I said I, I liked what Pierce did last year this year they've been below expectations he's got to take some blame for that but you know again i I haven't really i I think there are a lot more it's hard to judge him because the personnel has been so bad and so maybe that's part of what this is too is you know schlank presumably likes pierce that's why he hired him and so maybe he's trying to give him more of a chance uh, to win over the team that they have here last question uh ian riaf r-i-a-f uh colin spent most of his time with the four last year did so as well in his rookie year should he be playing the five at all times give me like 15 seconds in your answer there i don't think he's a good enough defender so if, unless you're going to can offensively yeah that'd be great but defensively which is the more important position for bigs no yeah that, i mean that's the, the problem with collins is he he has to really be a transcendent offensive player with some of his defensive limitations all right quick break here and we'll talk a little boston celtics the boston celtics wonderful season thus far had a couple of wins over the weekend without kemba walker who was out with an illness beat the bulls on the road they sit at 25 and 8 second overall in net rating fifth on offense second on defense and they project for 57 wins which would put them second in the eastern conference so for all kind of collectivize a few of the questions that we got on boston related to the center position um and so one one is a point of clarification from at Micah Rice 3 asked about an Aaron Baines return and Aaron Baines cannot return to the Celtics this year you you first of all well he, he cannot be reacquired via trade this league this league year because there's there's a CBA rule in that and unless he was traded again and then subsequently cut which doesn't seem likely based on how Baines has played this year only then could Boston re-sign him this league season if they're talking about a return next year then yeah that's certainly allowed by the league you can once your contract expires you can go wherever the heck you want yeah and with Phoenix at least for the time being in the playoff race you would imagine they would hold 
hold on to Baines. They're starting he and Aiton together now, which is very interested to see what the results of that turn out to be. Uh, he even mentioned using the Memphis what position would the Celtics use the Memphis pick on and that's a very interesting question actually because they seem so set at all the other four positions other than center depends if they even get that pick this year or not it's top six protected of course becomes unprotected in 2021 Wiseman seems like the only guy I mean maybe Stewart or the guy from USC again when we're not up on the draft that much yet uh, to talk about who might be available in the lower end of the top 10 you could also see a, a trade becoming part of the picture there as well they don't have much matching salary but who knows what the situation is going to be with Gordon Hayward who could have out by the way amazingly enough Ennis Cantor also has a player option presumably Braun and Tatum are going to be sticking around for some time Marcus Smart another guy who potentially could get traded so I mean maybe you just want to end up using that pick and center makes the most sense but maybe you don't want to just use it on some center you want to get one more wing in there they don't have that much on the wings behind all of their main guys and you know just well, having and, some and cheap labor yeah i would lean hard towards a wing unless i mean you go best prospect available but remember that you're drafting players not for the team you have now but for the team yeah. three to four years from now boston will not have a lot of financial flexibility in all likelihood because tatum and brown has already been paid tatum will be paid obviously pretty soon what, and, what about a backup point guard for for now and then he can take over for Walker? Apparent, that would be a great fit i mean if, if the best player available is there i think that could be great and also somebody who fits the age yeah. timeline now you run into the same problem i talked about this with the big with the hawks with point guards point guards often take a while to develop so if that guy's meaningfully older than brown Tatum. It's not great, but still a, a useful a useful asset. And remember, Danny Ainge could flip that into something else too. So uh, if they want to be more competitive, and depending on where the landscape is in the East in June, in July, it wouldn't shock me if they got the pick if it became a more established commodity. Not because you know Ainge just believes in his board and does a good job of drafting, but because you want to kind of square things up. And if they think with Kemba their windows now, then they might as well use it in a different way. Yeah, and I mean this is. Very- very cynical to say but if they drafted a point guard because that's really where it seems like the depth of this draft is right now if they are in you know the seven eight type of range and the pick goes to them that you draft that guy maybe he plays a little bit two point guard with Kemba you bring him along slowly and then if he really looks like a big star you could move Kemba he's got a big salary yeah, uh, and, and I mean you know maybe there are certainly concerns that Walker might be too small to really win at the highest levels in the playoffs but there's just it's way too early I mean this team is ahead of schedule right now you want to just see what it looks like in the playoffs yeah try and maybe get a a little bit in terms of reinforcements this year but i don't foresee any kind of a big trade happening here until the offseason for these guys um woods at woods underscore az how can the celtics handle Embiid in a playoff series with their current roster you force him to to dribble and pass and if he gets solid post-up position then you force him to pass i mean that's really i think the way that they do it and boston can they could maybe get a buyout candidate um i've i brought up the idea even though he's not great specifically for Embiid off the top of my head i've been hammering the miles turner to the clippers thing for a while now and miles turner could also be a real really tantalizing possibility for the Celtics should he actually be on the market which we obviously don't know um and and that's the piece of advice that I would say for Boston unlike their fans is I would if I were trying to get a center for them it wouldn't be a rental I think it'd be really better to use some of their resources to get somebody who squares up and could be their long-term answer if it's not Robert Williams who I like at least in the early stages of his development yeah if Williams could just stay healthy that'd be great so I mean Embiid what he's doing as a post-up player this year when he actually gets the ball is 
just insane it's like 1.1 points per possession in the post keep in mind that's all half court possessions and daniel tice can't stop him cancer you know maybe he kind of can and i think you can get away with cancer more against the sixers because they're not a pick and roll team you're not they can't really take advantage of cancer's weakness but i ultimately don't i don't think cancer is really a great option against Embiid either especially if Embiid has the jumper working at all and, and cancer has to get out on the floor and you need to have more than one option because Embiid follows guys out of the game a lot of times so i do think they need more there but stevens also especially in a playoff situation has done a pretty good job of teaching his guys to switch behind the play, double team, get out of it. And with the limited shooting that the Sixers have on this squad, maybe that's ultimately where they have to go if they can't get another piece um, to defend Joel. Okay, uh, lightning round here. Let's do two more. Uh, from Josh McSee and then a bunch of numbers. Is Jason Tatum a good defender? I've heard conflicting things. Uh, yes, he is good. And in a team concept, he can be very good. But the metrics saying that he is great, I don't quite trust. Part of that is because wings, one of the most valuable things they can do is defend man-to-man and I don't think he has the 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 physical force. He doesn't play with the physical force necessary to really do that. And so, and he's not as, to me, like as good of a team defender as like prime Robert Covington was or anything like that. But he is very good. And I think anybody who says other than that, I, I'm a little bit skeptical. But the highest echelon, like uh, I think defensive PIPM and RPM both have him up there right now. I'm not quite there. Yeah. And I think as an individual defender, I don't like him that much due to his lack of strength when you're talking about really guarding some of the best wings. But uh, as a help guy, he's definitely taking some strides and uh ben taylor has been leading the charge uh, on his ability to really affect plays from the weak side at the nail what do you credit most for the celtics being a bit better than expectations this season says hp and dara boyina i'm not sure where the spaces in that are supposed to go but i would say there's like six or seven things hayward Braun, tatum all really been a little bit better than expected tice to me has been better than expected walker has been about you know probably at the higher end of what you would have hoped for from him the coaching is right back to being really good so i think it's been probably six or seven factors that, that you can really look at well and i think that for me if it's what you credit most i think brad stevens defensive system works really well with their personnel and as long as the guys are buying in which they are and i mean they have a lot of capable defenders on this team which i think you know with smart and, and brown and tatum and then they pieced it together from the center position which is something that stevens can do really well and and tice in particular has, has really stepped up but yeah it's, they've, they've done a really good job could Boston's commitment to the Taco Fall experience cost them substantially? They need a big, and I see Houston finding a Gary Clark. I'm not sure Gary Clark is uh, that amazing since he can't hit a shot, but uh, the opportunity cost pretty low. He's not a two-way, right? Yeah, two-way. It's it's two ways are hard to find. I mean, people do. There are teams that can cultivate players from that, but it's. I mean, the opportunity cost isn't that high. I mean, think about you know the players that have you know that are even sitting in the G League. I don't think it's that big a deal, but you know some. All right, the Brooklyn Nets, 16 and 18. Six and eight since we last checked in on them. 18th in the, or I'm sorry, 16th in the NBA in net rating. 21st on offense. They definitely have really been struggling, especially with the absence of Kyrie Irving. They are 14th in defense, which is uh, pretty impressive. Hoping to have a Nets-related guest on this week, actually, to talk a little bit more about them. They project for 36 wins, which would still put them in the eighth seed by four games, although there are enough of these teams that are projected to win like 32 games that you would think one of them would get hot and push the nets a little bit but 
Uh, Karis Levert did come back. The hope to, that I have is that he can run their second unit, which has been uh, relying on Theo Pinson to, to, and Garrett Temple to play point guard. They just have nothing when Dinwiddie is out of the game and also play some with Dinwiddie, whose efficiency is dropping a little bit now with the tremendous amount of pressure he has on him to just create everything for these guys. Pretty disturbing news, though, uh, with Kyrie Irving. He gave a news conference. The Nets are typically extremely tight-lipped about timetables. Irving revealing that surgery may be an option. He's gotten a cortisone shot to try to avoid surgery, but you can only get so many of those cortisone shots, even if it works. They're hoping that it's going to improve things for him. So I'm... I'm definitely concerned. I my prediction just based on that news conference would be more likely than not that he's going to miss the season. I, I don't know that for sure, but that's just kind of what it feels like to me right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was definitely concerning for me. I mean, and and it ties in with the mysteriousness of, of this that it's actually worse than than expected and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that ties in with some of the other questions we've gotten about like whether like if Kyrie is hurt, whether Brooklyn should be a buyer or a seller. And one of the interesting ones was like, if Brooklyn is a seller. What would it look like? And I think that is a great question and the type of thing I'm actually going to start writing about a little bit more because remember Brooklyn's unusual structure that they have a dominant player who is out for this basically this entire season and you know, we don't know exactly when Durant's even going to be 100%. So they're not looking, they, they weren't prioritizing the 1920 season anyway because they knew about Durant and they were trying to gap fill and all that and they already signed Tory and Prince to an extension. So I don't think that the Nets becoming sellers would necessarily, necessarily do a whole heck of a lot unless they think that the end game does not include Spencer Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie at all and they want to sell high because of the usage that he has right now. But I don't think they would do that because especially especially with Kyrie's injury history, you need somebody else who can fill that role. And you, if you trade that away, then it's a lot harder to generate. Yeah, one of Dinwiddie or Levert, I think, eventually needs to be on another team to give them a little bit more wing defense to take some pressure. You know, Kevin Durant is not going to be the wing stopper, particularly after returning from Achilles. But I still think they're going to want to make the playoffs this year to have some momentum. You know, I, I think it would really, it wouldn't look good to just give up on Dinwiddie or Levert in a trying season even if Kyrie doesn't come back remember they also have to re-sign Joe Harris this offseason that will be interesting to see what kind of demand there is out there for him they will have full bird rights on him maybe you could say someone like Prince or Temple could be moved Levert you basically can't trade during this season anyway because of the extension that he signed uh the uh, remnants of the base year compensation rule I really don't see anyone else who has much value for these guys. So, and then the other interesting thing too, if Kyrie is out for the season, then you can kiss goodbye any chance that KD would come back as well. I mean, the indications are that he's not going to play, but again, they're pretty tight-lipped. And, you know, if they were killing it this year, maybe he would come back. But if Kyrie is out, there would seem to be little point to that. Um, So we talked about that for a little bit here, but uh, Nathan Gardner, Nathan Canadian, is the team most in win-now mode actually Brooklyn compared to the other? top six teams in the east and will their deadline reflect that i don't think it will uh because there's just there's nothing to win now this season i think this offseason yeah you might see that the case but even more likely to me is next trade deadline they just they don't have enough information they don't know what this team's going to look like with Kyrie and kd and some of these other pieces that they have uh and so also uh, given that, the specific yeah. incentives the bucks are the most win now team i mean 
If, yeah, no, you're right about that. Yeah, and, and I would say, given the structure of it, Philly is probably above the Nets as well. I mean, they're, sure, the Nets would love to win now, but also think about what that does in terms of, wait, really, what would that look like for the Nets? They're not going to give up a ton of assets for this year, and I agree with you that they'll they'll have to make some adjustments later, but I think they need to know to know what they have before they make those moves. And that um, something I think, it, just as a brief thing to talk about, a Will Freeborn asked, could Brooklyn be a buyer for Kevin Love? And my instinct is no, because they don't need... Yeah, sure, Kevin Love could supercharge their offense. I mean, having him, Kyrie, and Durant would be a brutal thing to defend, but the Nets don't, you know, they don't need as much of that. It would help, but they need a defensive identity. They need wing defenders if KD... KD is better in a help capacity most of the time than in a lead capacity, and so getting somebody who can do that responsibility and not be a negative on, on offense is a, to me, would be a far better get than somebody like Kevin Love, who doesn't really solve any of their problems and creates a whole mess of other ones, even though he's a damn good basketball player at one health. Yeah. Um, oh, another another note here. We, we had a question from uh, RPC333, uh, more valuable, Levert or Dinwiddie. Remember, Dinwiddie recruited Kyrie, who then recruited KD, and then DeAndre Jordan joined up also. Hollinger and I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but hard to see any of those dominoes getting moved. It does seem like Levert is the more likely one. So it, to move Dinwiddie and you know Kyrie kind of went there because he wanted to play with him and then to move him before they even get a chance to play together and have their team again that I I really if it's not working then you can sell making a move to these guys a little bit more uh Bradley Wilson says in the post Nawaba era who in this ugly backcourt bench mob has the potential to be the least bad once KD and Kyrie return you know hopefully none of them at that point I, I mean you've still got Prince he might even be coming off the bench you've got Harris Kyrie Lavert, Dinwiddie that's basically your whole perimeter rotation maybe even all the way up until the four so you probably don't need to play any of those guys hopefully but i mean it seems like they're liking tlc the most at this point in time but he's almost out of days he's somewhere you know he's got maybe like 10 days left as a two-way guy so they might need to make a move to keep him around and pinson you know i've always liked him because of his ball handling skills but the shooting is something that's always been a question mark he's obviously been overmatched playing backup point guard at this point in time but they don't really need what he brings he's someone who, who might look a little bit better somewhere else um and musa same thing you know kurix to me still probably has the most potential of that group agreed i liked kurix the most last year and I, I yeah i still like his game you ready to move on to charlotte uh yeah let's do a quick read first here though all right what are the fundamentals on the charlotte hornets danny the hornets are now 15 and 23 7 and 9 since the last 1560 and despite that record they're 26th in net rating 22nd in offense 28th in defense and 538 largely because of that projects that they will win 26 which would tie them for 12th with the atlanta hawks um question from aram palmudian are you surprised at terry rosier's increase in true shooting to a career high level given the larger load should we expect a regression of the mean is this something you expect to continue moving forward uh, are you surprised my answer is a very easy yes i i am i you know with the ex- increase in usage is not a surprise to me but him having you know 50 and remember his career high in true shooting is 50 this is 54 percent it's still below league average he is is, um, 52 was his previous career high. That was his third year with the Celtics. And regression to the mean, yes, in part. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is he is a career 36% three-point shooter. He is currently at 39.4. That's a little bit on the high side, but some of the other elements of it are pretty positive. He's getting to the basket more, getting to the free throw line a little bit more. He's a good free throw shooter. So I would say, yeah, this is probably, it is surprising. And this is, 
I would say there's some regression, but maybe a little bit less than I thought, which full credit to Terry Rozier for upping that and while also having the highest usage and the highest assist rate of his career. Now, we should note that he's playing the two. And in some ways, he's really more of a fit there. Right. Well, and this is the crazy. So he's 81% of his three pointers are assisted right now. Yeah. And that's part of why he's shooting the ball as well as he is. And also why when he plays without Devonte Graham as the point guard, they have a negative 19.2 net rating and score 95 points per 100 possessions, which is uh, very, very bad in case you were wondering. Even, even. Is that non Trey Young esque? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I do think he's overmatched as the lead guard. Part, part of why we thought he'd be so inefficient was because we nobody saw Devontae Graham coming at this point in time. But we always felt like he could shoot pretty well. He can defend, do a little bit of secondary playmaking, and that's the role that he's in next to Devontae Graham. We have a question about his contract, and to me, it's not quite as bad. You know, is he overpaid by maybe $6 million? Yeah, potentially, but this is a team that's got more salary cap space than they know what to do with going forward here, and he's gotten them to some modicum of respectability, and they're going to have some space this summer. If they can have a respectable season, maybe they look a little bit better as far as getting someone and they can if graham continues to play like this they could get a little bit better defensively with some free agents and uh get back to chasing the eighth seed uh, like the hornets uh, we know and love and that ties in with a question from at guileman john what moves can charlotte make in the next two years to have a team capable of consistently making the playoffs to me you look at the you know if you want to go through the four factors i think one of the instructings is that the, the hornets are 28th in defense and really the two things that they're doing well are they're not fouling and they're forcing um and they're forcing some turnovers forcing some turnovers is a good thing and and i think some of that is is brago's approach um but for me the biggest the biggest things that they can do are get somebody in who can or even you could do some of it with system stuff of getting opponents to take shots in less dangerous areas they have one of that location field goal percentage thing that uh clean the glass has right now i think charlotte is third worst in that so like basically they're not forcing opponents to take quote-unquote the right shots and unlike the chicago bulls we'll talk about this soon enough the opponents are making the shots that they're giving them so it kind of factors in together to me that's better rim protection ideally another wing defender type of player as well um and i think that's the biggest thing they can do is getting getting more reliable defenders in and then hoping that Devonte graham continues to grow and that maybe they get somebody else who's capable of hitting open shots but i don't think they're especially considering how terrible the bottom of the east is consistently making the playoffs is not that far away when you consider how much money they have tied up in players that aren't giving them that much speaking of which a couple of questions james plowright asking about who has the most value out of some of their overpaid veteran flotsam biombo marvin williams it was actually not that overpaid that that, that wasn't that terrible a contract to, amazingly cody zeller and mkg i think we can rule out biz and mkg from that uh and i would say probably marvin williams he's a, a better shooter more plug and play also he his contract expired doesn't go into next year which I, I think would appeal to some playoff teams and steve song in a similar vein asking if marvin williams gets bought out where would you like to see him or think he could help and the answer is a lot of places i mean just looking at the list celtics certainly he could maybe play some backup center in a switch everything group with uh, marcus smart at point guard that could be pretty good he's got some pretty decent rim protection can shoot the ball they need shooting off the bench as well he'd be good there 
the Raptors that can always use something at power forward the Nets uh, could definitely use something as well and maybe he could get brought back there also um you know Pacers and Heat probably don't necessarily need him he'd be a huge upgrade over Mike Scott for the Sixers uh, I would think uh, I mean you know, the the Lakers is mentioned that could uh, especially if they were to move on from Kuzma I think he would make more sense there Clippers kind of have a lot of guys like that you know Jermichael Green's kind of similar to him Rockets would love to have him to play a little bit more switching and small ball center there he can shoot the ball Jazz backup power forward isn't a strength right now they're getting some decent minutes from Niang although I don't he might be too slow for the playoffs really seems like everybody could use him frankly like he he has a, a lot of good qualities he's been an underrated player for a long time to me um should we move on to Chicago yeah let's do it the Bulls are 13 and 23 six and nine since the last 1560 they are 19th in net rating with the balance of the 28th offense and the seventh ranked defense 538 projects them to win 31 games which will put them 10th in the Eastern Conference uh question from um mike on mike mnh mhh harris bulls currently have a top six defense is that sustainable with the current personnel and is there any realistic scenario where they could make a trade to improve the offense and solidify themselves as the best of the worst in the Eastern conference <laughs> the best of the worst i, I love that phrasing that's great. well it's it reminds me of as somebody who grew up liking everton of being the best of the rest in the premiership like that's sort of an idea except that the eastern conference is even less inspiring than the bottom you of the you grew up liking everton like you even yeah. like were able to follow the premiership when you were growing up or, or a little you... bit yeah when i could yeah i liked I, I was a fan of young wayne rooney and i when i could get when i could follow everton i, I yeah i and I, I don't know it was, when i could it wasn't i didn't have a ton of bandwidth for it but yeah well anyway, i mean it was it was even on at that time i could pull like yeah every once in a while they would be on tv um and not that often though uh but i just wanted in english premier league i, I wanted a team that wasn't a blue blood and so they worked as kind of a good fit and they got worse yeah one of my favorite ever simmons columns was him trying to pick a premier league team to, to follow yes I, I had a team shortly before that and then was very pleased with how he wrote about everton and also made me feel like i made a good job. um um but yeah. let's to, to answer the question of is this defense sustainable with their current personnel my answer is a pretty firm no the bulls have a lot of there there's a lot of shooting luck in there and what's so funny about it is the bulls are i think they're 17th in opponent effective field goal percentage right now and that is insanely lucky yeah the they're they're giving up just a ton of shots at the rim they're giving I, i've up got a, a stat lot. on that on, sure. on for the location e field goal percentage stat on cleaning the glass which basically measures where you're giving shots up from and what kind of shooting you would give up if teams just hit an average from those areas they are last in the league by a mile 54.3 percent e field goal percentage is what they should be giving up so that can quantify that luck you're talking about uh, um, exactly yeah. and so so right now they're giving up the sixth lowest percentage from three giving up the fifth lowest percentage from mid-range including just like an unsustainably low 37% from floater range, which is crazy. And yeah, the, the shot mix they're giving up is, is really bad, and they're also fouling a lot. So you could see that just going in the wrong direction and there's a lot a lot of good fortune there from their perspective and is there any realistic scenario where they can make a trade to improve the offense like i mean i wonder this is a question that i have sometimes for for teams in the bulls situation yeah like i mean they could trade a first round pick or something like that if they wanted to but i don't know really what practically speaking that trade looks like that's the problem i have with with you know so they have players when auto porter is healthy which is a huge caveat because he hasn't been they kind of have players in 
in mind at every position. So what? where would they give up the resources? Would it be to upgrade a, and give up that player in the trade? Because those trades are always hard to do. Or do you acquire somebody at a different position and then you're also marginalizing somebody else? Do you get what I'm saying with that? Yeah, I do. And I mean, maybe what you just say is, hey, Porter is so injury prone. I mean, what's he played like 15 games for this team since he was acquired? That you just used his salary and an asset as ballast to try to pick up somebody else who, who can be a part of what you're doing on the wing but one of the problems hollinger and i talked about this today on our pod where we ranked some of the guys who are available and there isn't really any kind of a long-term guy you know there's no drew holiday of the three who's under contract for even a reasonable amount of time that might be available because there just aren't that many threes who are difference makers so you know i mean you're talking about marcus morris and iguodala and jay crowder those guys aren't going to be on the timeline so they, they got to find a, a three or hope that porter can come around seems fait accompli is going to opt into that player option now with the 28 million it does and uh at formerly miles asked if Otto porter jr is dead money i wouldn't go that far i think that he's always played in 24 games as a chicago bull it was 15 last year and a whopping nine so far this year but remember that if the bulls are thinking about themselves as a potential playoff team for next year i think they have to go from the approach that Otto porter will play 30 or fewer games just because you have to and that means in all likelihood using the spending power they have which i mean honestly most teams should be a lot of teams should be doing anyway at the forward slots to try to get somebody who can fit in to their rotation even though that young will be coming back because he had a multi-year contract so that's the way that i'd approach it but he isn't dead money because when he's healthy i think he can contribute all right lightning run here we got about two minutes left so let's see if we can get four more in how is chicago one of the best defensive teams in the league we talked about that already forcing turnovers with that very aggressive defensive scheme is probably the biggest aspect of that uh is chris dunn's defense good enough to make him an asset can be on the floor for meaningful minutes i lean heavily towards a no i just don't trust guard defense though he has been wonderful as a defensive guard his offensive limitations i mean you see it from the bulls offense when he's on the floor those just become so much more of of an issue unless you have that incandescent offensive engine which they don't well i think he could be a reasonable point guard for you if you have another score to play on the second unit i'm not talking about a starting point guard i'm talking about a backup well but they asked about meaningful minutes like that that to me was the differentiator like you know like can he be on the floor in crunch time for a good team okay i mean meaningful minutes to me means you're playing minutes (laughs) like if you're playing 15 minutes in the playoffs that's meaningful minutes okay oh yeah he can do that absolutely yeah and he makes the 5.4 million this year so really you're talking about getting into restricted free agency he's an interesting type of player for restricted free agency probably not going to get an offer sheet if you wanted to re-sign him would he be interested in backup point guard money on a long-term deal maybe maybe not he does seem to have a, a high opinion of himself he could be someone who might take the qualifying offer and his qualifying offer would be eh, kind of borderline for uh, a one-year deal you know it's a well he's he's probably not going to make the starter criteria is he i haven't looked at the the stats on that yet yeah that, that that'd be interesting that's uh probably beyond the scope uh, here we'll have to talk more about that in their off-season preview obviously but yeah it's so i don't know no like could you get anything for him i don't really see it I mean, he's playing so out of position right now and he's had a weird but he's had to play a lot out of Inter- position because he's not that good so Chris Dunn to me is the example is a great example of a player that a team who's proactive could actually really benefit from acquiring ahead of time because his restricted rights are going to lead to him probably being under market. 
So, yeah, I mean, if, if another team says we need Chris Dunn, like Chris Dunn can really help us for the next two years, I would go after him now. And I don't think yeah. it would take a ton but, to get But him. I don't, uh, I mean, he's starting for them at the three right now. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, you know, they could fall out of it, in which case they, they just decide to move on and get whatever you can. All right, last question here. Actually, let's do two more. I, I know we're, there are some good ones in the Bulls, so we'll just have to go a little long on them. Uh, is Lowry Marketing's recent good play a blip or a sign of growth that will continue? I really have no idea because so much of what he's doing is tied to to his ability to shoot the ball now there's talk that he had a, an injury early in the season with the oblique that that's better maybe that's a reason why he's playing better but largely we've seen that for whatever reason these runs of good play have been followed by some runs that are not that great and so I honestly don't know. That's part of why Hollinger and I uh, Hollinger said he was one of the more confounding players for him. I kind of feel the same way. But growth that will continue. Yeah, I think he could be like a decent enough starter. But second best player on your good team, you know, I, I haven't seen enough yet to believe in that. But I'm not ruling it out. I mean, he, he it has a very nice stroke. It could all come together for him. All right, let's do one more here. Uh, you want to do this one from Bernardo Falchetto? Sure. Or actually, no, wait, hold on. That wasn't the one I wanted to do. It's kind of oh, in the same okay. vein as uh, the uh, astrology psychologist one, just basically asking about a front office or coaching change. Yeah, okay, so that one, um, who, uh, which do you see is more likely, a front office and or a coaching change or scrapping the court and rebuilding? What, if any, are the pieces to keep here? So I, I think I think a coach, a front office or coaching or a coaching change is more likely than scrapping the core, just because I think the front office is secure and they chose the core. So then if we can if i can pick a coaching change i will even though they did pick the coach too yeah and they have to be pleased with the defense and they're getting good shots they're just not necessarily making them and they're playing chris dunn at the three like if he actually had a real team i mean i know people aren't big fans of Boylan and some of the rotations and stuff but i'm gonna go more towards personnel than that saying he oh, is the problem one other quick note if Otto porter stays hurt and it seems like he is dunn's almost definitely gonna hit the starter criteria because he's he's already started half their game so i think i think he should be i think you should be okay all right quick break here and then we'll talk a little calves boy we're really going to retain a lot of our audience after that. all right cleveland is 10 and 26 5 and 11 over their last 16 games 29th in the nba in net rating negative 9.0 27th on offense 29th on defense and of the only the putrid wizards defense to thank for not being 30th for a second straight year they project for 24 wins that would put them 14th in the conference they will not be making the playoffs and more reporting regarding kevin love it seems a uh, low so many months ago that chris fedor came on this podcast and said how the Cavs told him that they really liked love and all of the veteran leadership that he brought there are reports for that he got into it with kobe altman as early as the end of last season then had another discussion with him in which he said, go ahead and find me. I can afford it. He also was fined $1,000 for an outburst on the bench in the last few days. Had a hilarious moment uh, that I'll try to talk about a little bit where they just weren't running the play that he wanted at the end of the quarter. And then he just about took out Chetty Osmond's knees with the pass <laughs> in frustration after Colin Sexton finally gave it to him. But, I mean, that's all well and good. He'd like to be traded. He hasn't said so publicly. It's very clear already. There's been multiple reports out of it. He's trying to force the organization's hand, you would think. He he also complained that these guys have no feel to Haltman. But and Hollinger and I talk about this a lot too, it still seems like it's going to be hard to find a home for him due to the contract that he decided that he wanted. So, 
Let's, uh, well, yeah, go ahead. That, 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 that's the thing here is when a player agrees to a really lucrative contract, they lose the ability to necessarily be happy about where things turn out. Because, I mean, obviously LeBron leaving was a possibility. Actually, LeBron had already left when he signed the extension. That was a part of why Kobe Altman presumably did it. He was the guy who was willing to stay. And that means you might be in a bad situation. It, it means you can't force your hand. And so Love, after the season, not even including the season, has three years and 91 Point five million left. That is an that is an unambiguous negative value. And even though Love has been healthier this year, he hasn't really provided that much value. The Cavs' defense still sucks. Their offense is better than it was, but he's not. Lift, he's lifting it, but I don't think he's lifting it a ton. And Love hasn't, both because of the injury and because of the Cavs not being particularly relevant, he hasn't had the opportunity to raise his individual profile. And remember that when a player is as expensive as Love, an important element of it is a team believing that they in particular are the right fit for a general manager feeling that that player is the right fit for them. And it's hard to think of in recent vintage what, what Kevin Love has done to sell himself to the teams. And a lot of that is not his fault. They just, the Cavs just aren't good enough. But like we got that question from Manny Fresh about what do you think is a, a believe like a realistic and reasonable return for him? And if any team sees Kevin Love as even close to a neutral value on his contract, so expiring money or expiring sooner money, then I would go pretty hard after it. And yeah, that might be a concession of defeat for Kobe Altman. And it's not like the Cavs are going to use that money to sign unless LeBron James wants to go there again. I don't think there's going to be a star that goes there, but they, I mean, just even having it to take on bad salary would be better for them than, than aging Kevin Love. And Love has not really made any kind of a difference for them. Worse net rating when he's on the floor than when he's off. 103 offensive rating, that's supposed to be the good side. That's like pretty close to worse in the league type of levels there. Uh, Scott Kennedy at Scott Take NBA ceiling. Actually, can I go before that? Can I do a quick question for you on Kevin Love? Yeah, sure. Just working through, let's talk, Like just, just thinking thinking out loud, who, given how much money Kevin Love makes, let's say, theoretically, a team had an appropriate amount of filler salary, a couple years left on it, whatever it would be. We, we don't need to focus on that. What team do you think would be thinking to themselves that Kevin Love solves some of their problems? Like, we, we, there have been rumors about the Nuggets for years. There have been rumors about a couple other teams is like oh that would be a logical fit when i look at the best teams or even like maybe making him a floor raiser on a different one i don't see a clear-cut fit personally yeah the best one i could come up with was phoenix him and aiden together would be interesting yeah yeah it would but who knows whether uh, how long baines can keep this up and aiden kind of wants to play next to another big it seems like he's really excited about starting next to baines and playing the position he was born to play at the forest some quote along those lines which does a little troubling because he should probably be a center but in any event yeah that seems like the one and they've got tyler johnson's expiring salary to use a, as the basis for a deal and haven't really been a free agent destination for some time now don't project to have cap space until the summer of 2021 uh, in any kind of significant amount they could get up to 20 million this offseason if dario Saric is not brought back and considering he didn't play at all in the first half today against memphis even with frank kaminsky out for some time that seems to be looking a little more likely. Well, and one I would mention briefly is if 
Portland's ownership is willing to pay through the nose for this team? Yeah, sure. I guess. I mean, he would make them better. They could trade him for yeah. expiring salary. Se- but seems like they're just too far a, away, though, at this point. Exactly. Like, that is such a hilariously expensive team if they add Love's money for another three years considering Damon CJ's contract. That they, e- even if Paul Allen were alive, that would be just, just such a crazy team to have considering their level of quality. So we got a couple of questions about Kevin Porter, and I'm really kind of bummed out about this because i am very concerned i saw this injury happen against minnesota tonight and he came off a dho tried to stop and change directions and looked like his left knee just buckled and he was down holding the front of his knee that's never a good sign when clay thompson was doing that it it was the acl i'm hopeful that he'll have avoided a significant injury he had to be helped off couldn't put any weight on it so we'll say all this kind of through a sad lens because he had been playing pretty well i thought the few games that I'd seen him in the last couple of weeks I thought his burst really was impressive even playing out of position at small forward even considering that he's got kind of a weird shot that he shoots uh, almost from the right side of his face and, and below his chin I mean he just popped you know he his athleticism his ability to get to the rim he was starting to show off a little bit more of a right hand he's very very left hand dominant he's, he's a guy who plays with his left side very far forward but yeah I, I liked what I saw from him just athletically he was sticking out in a way where you're like Ooh, look at that guy you know even if you're kind of watching the game out of one eye you see him pop off the screen with his ability to get to the basket and some of his closing speed even on defense i don't think it was some big positive defensively but you could see him when there'd be a loose ball or something he, he could really get after it so yeah this would be a huge bummer to me if uh in fact he's going to miss significant time here uh should we talk a little detroit pistons yeah let's do it they are 13 and 24 after their loss on sunday night to the la lakers Sorry, the Los Angeles Lakers is the LA Clippers. Um, they're 5-11 and 11 since the last 15-60, 21st in net rating, 15th in offense, 25th in defense, per 538 projects them to win 92 games, sorry, 32 games, which will put them ninth. 20% chance of making the playoffs, which considering how horrendous the bottom of the East is, is, is pretty depressing. Um... Question from Dave Feldman, DB Feld. Um, can you come up with any three-year plan for the Pistons that would give the fan base any hope whatsoever? Yes, uh, this is actually something I talked about with Sam Vecini a little bit, that the Pistons right now, so if you, one of the ways to look at bad teams is, and this is something that I do a fair amount, is to do it by wins, because, you know, bad teams, the assumption is that they're going to make it up in losses. Let's say, theoretically, they packed it in a little bit this season. The Pistons have 13 wins so far this year. The only teams that have fewer than 13 wins in the entire NBA are the Hawks, the Warriors, the Cavs, the Knicks, and the Wizards. A couple of those teams, structurally, you could expect them to be better moving forward, most notably the Warriors if Steph Curry comes back. And a couple of those teams are still going to try. So, I think the Pistons, like, the biggest thing that they need is they need the the key players on the next great Pistons team. And maybe somebody on their current squad can step up, Kennard, Seku, somebody like that. But most likely, that's a player that is not currently yet on their roster. So I think they need to get arrows in the quiver to get those players. So the way that I would develop in the three-year plan is go a little bit processy here and lean into the tank a little bit, try to build your talent base, and get as many bites at the top-end apple as you can. 
Yeah, maybe you just shut down Blake Griffin and say, hey, Blake, just go rehab for the next eight months and let's see if we can get you back to just where you can actually appear every night, number one, and actually be a little bit effective too. If there's any kind of a market for Drummond, you move him. Derek Rose, there might be some interest in. I mean, the Pistons had those years where I think, I can't remember, they didn't have a top 10 offense or I think they were below average in both offense and defense for like six or seven straight years, but they never really picked higher than I think eighth right it was uh, like greg monroe kcp like those are and those are some of the picks drumming those are the picks that they were dealing with they never had the lottery luck obviously so they're dealing with the fact that they really have never rebuilt the way the nba's current incentive structure really helps you to since god the 90s <laughs> right like i mean that's the last time they picked uh in the top five well it was darko but when it was related to the record that's when they got grant hill i think so I'm the current incentive structure. Yeah, who knows? You know, they could just end up seven or eighth again if they do what you're advocating. Um, want to talk a little bit about Siku Dumboya's last couple of games here, which we didn't get any questions on him because I don't think he had started. But I thought, he, did you watch that game yesterday against the Warriors? Were you there? I was not. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But I did watch the game, and I thought Dumboya looked really good. Talked about it a little bit with Hollinger today. Uh, his three-pointer looks good. He's shooting it with a little bit of versatility. He's been aggressive with it defensively. You know, he's still a little bit thin. Guarding some of the best guys, he's not going to hold up for sure. I, I did not see them play against the Lakers because we've been recording here. But I thought he actually made some plays defensively, showed some feel. He had a couple of nice cuts uh, behind Draymond Green, caught him turning his head. So uh, liking what I've seen, I mean, he's pro- to me, it looks like the best long-term prospect, if, if indeed he you know he just turned 19 uh now does he have superstar potential no but i think he could be a solid piece at some difficult to fill positions as a combo forward um we talked a little bit about this why not trade both blake and drummond yeah i don't really see any reason not to do that but blake the reason not to trade blake is just you would have to do assets to get off of him and he's not giving you anything on the court right now and you're not going to be good anyway so why give up those assets to move him that's basically yeah, and, and also the, the like what that. are they going to do with the space created by if you so this it's the same kind of thing with the Andrew Wiggins situation which is it yeah sure the player's a negative value but why would you incur the cost of trading that negative value ahead of time you just you just bite the bullet and hope that they recoup their value uh brandon thirteen thirteen. what do you think is the best possible package the pistons can realistically receive for trading drummond talked about this a little bit with hollinger today too that lotto protected brooklyn first rounder that the hawks have and some expiring flotsam contracts which uh the hawks have a few of those too uh, that to me is uh, about as good as you can hope i think that would be a great return for the pistons if they could get that they should absolutely do it agreed uh i'll do this one quickly from uh from at B Twitter, sort of a Bruce Brown question, sort of a general question. Uh, why do so many prospective three and D guys never develop the three? Uh, why is it such a hard skill to add? I mean, shooting NBA three is a very difficult thing. And it is true that guys now coming up a little bit more, I think they're getting more comfortable shooting threes at various heights. But I think a part of it is there are a lot of players who are three, like who make the league because of their shooting, who due to their physical tools will basically never be capable defenders. So if you are looking yeah. for- or, or think of how many guys who are- are great shooters just can't don't have the physical tools it, to play in the league. Exactly. So to me, the more likely way to become a three and D at an NBA level, because remember, like there are a lot of guys that could do that at like the college level or in Europe because the thresholds are a lot lower. But in the NBA level, you I, I think it's more likely that somebody has the D element and then has a shot, even if sometimes it's for a month or two months as opposed to their entire career. That's the more likely way to do it because a lot of the, the D the defense relies a lot on physical tools that some guys just don't have. 
All right, quick break, and we'll talk Pacers. Indiana, 22 and 14, 9 and 7 since the last 15 and 60. They've been struggling in the absence of Malcolm Brogdon. Lower back slash hamstring injuries for him. Victor Oladipo's return still seems like it's probably a couple of weeks away. We haven't heard any news on that front of late. 3.6 net rating is 10th. They are 11th in offense and 10th in defense. Projecting for 45 wins, a lot of that to me is schedule-based, I would assume, and for the sixth seed, substantially below the rest of those top six needs. But if they get Oladipo back and Brogdon back, maybe they can weather this storm a little bit. But you remember how incredibly easy their early schedule was. Uh, why don't we start with this one, Danny? Uh, Nuno R. Suarez. What are your thoughts on the Turner-Sabonis pairing so far this season? It's been better than I expected. I was very critical of kevin pritchard's decision to not only make that his starting group but to give sabonis his money ahead of time and broadly speaking the the there are two big things so one was would they be able to defend and so far that group has done a really nice job so in the minutes that those that that sabonis and turner play together which using cleaning the glasses a little over a thousand possessions they have a 1035 defensive rating they've actually rebounded pretty well when the two of those guys are there they they're uh they're rebounding 77 percent of opponent misses totally happy with that yeah that, that, well, well that's about average they should be no, if you're gonna play uh, too big clean, clean the glass well yeah if we're playing too bigs yeah it's but they're 82nd yeah. percentile clean the glass but you have to remember how many teams play small a lot oh really that, that's considered that's maybe i'm uh yeah it's 23 point 23.2 percent yeah. opponent offensive rebounds is 82nd percent yeah. i should i should have put that in there because that's something that most of us don't have internalized um they're also not yeah, well um, i thought i did and i was wrong apparently yeah. I, I mean i thought the same <laughs> i should anyway um so that's one important part they've defended better overall um and and i test when i've watched in those minutes i think they're doing a good job and then the other part which was actually where i thought the bigger problems would be was defensively and when you consider or sorry offensively when you consider the context that Oladipo has missed the entire season and Brogdon has missed a bunch of time they haven't really been in any sort of trouble you know like they they haven't the offense stagnates sometimes but not as much as I expect that it would they've been pretty consistent scoring with that group so I think the overall experiment has worked very well so far not perfectly but better than I anticipated yeah and really your biggest problems as the Pacers has come when Turner has played without Sabonis negative 10.2 net rating offense is fine a little bit above average the defense though so much for Miles Turner being this awesome defensive player of the year type of guy 120 defensive rating and they can't get a rebound to save their lives now most of these units have turner at the five can't rebound and tj warren at the four and justin holiday at the three lamb at the two you just you don't have any size with those groups so it's not surprising me that they can't get a rebound but they still and it's the issue is they're fouling a lot as well and opponent shooting is not great either but it, it's the thing that's so ugly there is uh, the defensive rebounding allowing uh 32 percent offensive rebounds which is a 1990s type of figure let's hit uh maybe three four more of these uh, real quick lightning round on the pacers sure uh from anthony canton uh assuming oladipo comes back healthy which he notes is a big assumption um what additional upgrade could put indian in the conversation for finals run i i don't think they could get the wing defender that they would need but remember remember how good the bucks and sixers are like those are really good teams and so if, if indiana can generate reliable offense i think that would really help and i could see them winning like upsetting in a series but to beat let's say those two teams i think it would take a that type of forward defender that is incredibly hard to find yeah it's tough because i think they could be solid on offense and solid on defense 
And, you know, if Oladipo is really back to 17, 18 type of levels and he's shooting the ball too, you know, maybe he could be that end of game threat. And then you got Brogdon next to him as well. They would certainly have a lot of depth, but that's uh, of less use in the playoffs. Turner obviously is going to have to play a lot better than he has this year. Maybe he can really space the floor out, give those guys room to work. Maybe it just bec- they become an elite offense with Brogdon and Oladipo, Turner spacing the floor. Sabonis is pretty difficult to stop. He gives them a post-up option. I mean, they, they would have a lot of varied threats. So maybe they would just be so good offensively. That's how it happens. And, you know, they could get into being a pretty darn good defense. You know, maybe it could be sixth on offense, sixth on defense, something like that. And, you know, the, I don't see Oladipo as being a top 10 player, but maybe he's a top 15 player. And with that much depth around him and everybody grows into it, remember this is still a pretty young group. You know, maybe it happens in a couple of years. That that would be the scenario. Uh, maybe the Bucks lose Giannis and then there isn't necessarily that one Titan in the East. And so you could see them, you know, 55 win type of team gets into the finals, probably loses. But that's uh, that's the scenario I would foresee if in fact they can get Yeah, I was, th- I was thinking more in the immediate, but yeah, I think that was a healthier perspective to take. Um, what can they do to address the re- rebounding issues yeah i mean it's tough miles turner i I think they he's so bad at tracking the ball i think maybe they should just tell him you know just be brooke lopez and robin lopez now he doesn't have the heft of those guys but to just say hey your job is just to box guys out and everyone else fly in for some board like that that i think is the best you can do i don't i don't know if that's going to work but i think you're probably going to always struggle to defensive rebound with miles Turner. and the forward rotation is another thing that could really help them i mean they just don't really have much on the on the forward line right now yeah they've never had a combo forward even that young for all of his brilliance last year was never a good rebounder either um you know Oladipo's athleticism might help Brogdon's size I mean they're, they've been, they're small at every position right now when they don't go with Turner and Sabonis together oh uh, what do you think Indiana's crunch time lineup will be by the time everyone is healthy so I think they'll be choosing between this from uh from Mike A. Rice 3 I, I think they'll so the the no-brainers are really actually it might just be Brogdon and Oladipo and then then the other th- the other three spots I think you're choosing four of or sorry three of turner sabonis lamb tj warren probably and so in certain circumstances you can play the two bigs together they've been pulling one of them in a lot of the circumstances and unless i'm forgetting somebody i think that's probably... eh, you know they really like justin holiday's defense a lot that's true yeah holiday can be in that mix too if he's playing well Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very matchup based. And, you know, if you're going against a Philly, for example, maybe you want to go Turner and Sabonis together. Uh, if you, maybe you, Old Depot really has it rolling. And so you want to have Turner at the five, space it out so he can get to the basket. Maybe Sabonis has a good matchup in the post. So it, maybe Warren is, is getting out in transition. I think Old Depot can really help them do more in transition. That might be something that he could help with. Um, last question here. I'll take it really quickly. Nate McMillan has one playoff series win in a his 16th season as a head coach probably doesn't get one this spring but keeps his job does that sound about right uh let's see how it ends there it's been pretty positive right now we'll see when Oladipo comes back it does seem like there's a little bit you know remember Pritchard and McMillan have a history going all the way back to Portland I think he's done a pretty pretty good job I don't think he's been amazing in the playoffs there's been a couple I mean they weren't going to beat that LeBron and Kyrie in 2017 but I thought McMillan 
Jalen really had some foibles then in 18 against the Cavs as well I, I thought you know like following Oladipo out of that game too but he and Dan Burke they get these guys to defend so I you know I don't think there's necessarily a coaching upgrade out there they probably unless they really just flame out especially with Oladipo not healthy for the this year I think they would at least get one more year that that would be my thought and you know who knows there and, could and be like, an extension to me well. McMillan's done a really good job in in Indiana and not every team has win a playoff series talent so yeah they could have won that one against the Cavs in 2018 the biggest threat that Cleveland got in those Eastern Conference playoffs by far but I I'm, I don't really have any I, I don't see that as a failing of a coach yeah. just I, like, I don't know if it was their biggest threat by far they also went to seven games against Boston and had to win up yeah maybe not by far I thought I thought that Pacers team gave them more than the Boston team did that Boston series was weird yeah that's true I mean and I guess you could say that the Pacers perhaps had them closer to elimination at any single point um all right well we're already like well over an hour into this here and we've only done eight teams so I think we'll probably have to take this to a part two so stay tuned for that probably be either tomorrow or tuesday depending on whether we want to do a gamer tomorrow slate's a little bit better tomorrow but we'll leave that up in the air for now but thanks for all the questions we will get to the remaining seven teams in the eastern conference within the next couple of days and don't forget about hollinger and duncan as well check out uh, danny's real gm radio if you need some more podcasts uh, everyone's back to work now we are back to work as well we're gonna blast off with five episodes this week we also did a patreon mailbag patreon.com slash duncan larue for people over the weekend and nba cast will be on thursday night this week four o'clock pacific seven eastern philly boston that'll be a really good one can't wait to do that one for the nba cast Uh, and we will talk to you all tomorrow night till then